very much an audience first approach because it is taking that feeling, that world that your audience already really wants to live in and starting to build around that desire. Hello and welcome to the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast. I'm Mike Burbridge, Senior Director of Marketing Futures and your host for this episode. As consumer attention spans continue to shorten, a curious trend has emerged. In the right circumstances, consumers will spend hours, even days, immersed in fictional worlds like that of Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, and the Avengers. World building isn't limited to blockbuster film franchises, however. It can also be a way for brands to deepen customer relationships and drive brand loyalty, but only when done correctly. Tara DeVoe and Sean Shahani from Wildcard joined the podcast to discuss what marketers can learn from Hollywood producers and vice versa, and share tips on how to build a world of engagement around your brand. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a particularly fascinating subject to talk about today. Maybe a few weeks ago, a report came across my desk on the concept of world building, why it's become such a part of the zeitgeist in our culture, and how brands are, you know, using the right way, are really finding a brand new channel, a brand new avenue to engage with already really cued in consumers. And I just so happened to link up with two of the people who were instrumental in, in creating this study. So I'd like to introduce everybody in the Extended Marketing Futures podcast universe to Tara DeVoe, the EVP and CMO of Wildcard, and Sean Shahani, head of the Insights Group at Wildcard. How are you guys doing today? We're great. Good. Thank you. Thanks for so- having us. Honestly, I'm just going to be a kid in a candy shop through this entire thing because I'm fascinated to no end about this. But before we jump in, why don't we get to know a little bit about the two of you. If you could just let us know who you are, what you're about, and how your journey led you to Wildcard. I have either worked at brand agencies or in television pretty much my entire career. And those two worlds began to kind of collide and really blend into each other some years ago as brand storytelling became less kind of product benefit focused and more about creating entertaining content. I think brands learned a lot from Hollywood, but about two years ago when I met Allison Temple, who's the CEO of Wildcard, she felt that Hollywood could also learn a lot from brands and brand marketing, specifically how to identify a message to audiences differently how to incorporate kind of shifting culture and audience insights into the marketing of films, shows, games, whatever. And that prospect was so exciting to me that I basically packed up and left New York and moved to LA. I'm from the city. You know, we're out here in LA. So I've been around entertainment my whole life and Wildcard started as, you know, an entertainment first company. But, you know, Tara and myself have been helping move it into more kind of emphasis on brand marketing too. That's where I spend most of my time. So First starting, you know, the marketing department here at American Apparel, somehow being like the internet guy focused on culture, bouncing around a bunch of different agencies out in New York before coming back and ultimately, you know, going to a couple other places before I landed a wild card, which has been really amazing because, you know, for us, and this is kind of the impetus, I think, of the study that you've so eloquently set up, consumers today aren't really making a distinction between entertainment and brand content. So it's been a really awesome challenge 
to try to figure out exactly how do we end up taking those amazing learnings that Wildcard has been working on for those kind of entertainment consumers and then help reapply those for brand clients too. Phenomenal. So I want to like set a baseline before I start geeking out left and right and all over the place about world building. Let's kind of explain to our listeners, how does Wildcard define the concept or the term world building? Yeah, so we make the distinction between world building and world building content, given especially that world building is really this discipline that's been established by a lot of amazing storytellers out there, right? So even as we were doing the study and the initial research, thinking about like the way that Tolkien would set up, you know, Middle Earth is really, you know, what you might consider what world building is, right? So, you know, one of our creative groups here at 3AM was helped co-founded with Ridley Scott, you know, one of the best world builders on the planet. He makes these amazing kind of spaces for people to explore. But for us, world building content is slightly different. So the way we describe it is that everything from the trailer that, you know, our editorial teams over here are making is really the initial invitation to a world to, you know, the fan user-generated content that happens in a subreddit. All those kind of experiences and anything in between that helps build a better sense of what that world looks like is world building content to us. So that's for our entertainment clients, for our brand clients, world building content is really how do you end up creating marketing that helps better establish the idea of like what the world of your brand looks like and feels like for consumers. Yeah. And I would just add, I mean, to echo what Sean had said, we work with a lot of brilliant kind of filmmakers, showrunners, game developers, and they're experts at creating worlds, you know, as an agency partner, what we think we're pretty good at is the creation of the marketing content and experiences that introduce audiences to those worlds. It's like Alice, you know, going down the rabbit hole. World building content is really the creation of those rabbit holes, those kind of entries into immersive worlds. Oh, it's amazing. And yeah, and I think Alice in Wonderland might be the uh, first time I ran into a call to action when I was a little kid, the eat me, drink me. <laughs> so, Thank you very much for lying that out. And I think everybody now listening, if they didn't before, is thinking about that world that they love to get lost in. So we're always hearing about how thanks to the internet, people have shorter attention spans than a goldfish. I think goldfish comes in at like five seconds and we're trailing up at about four, four and a half. Mm-hmm. So why then has this trend of immersive content you could theoretically spend hours or days engaging with how has this taken hold in recent years? So, I mean, with respect to humans, I think, versus goldfish, goldfish don't really have as many options on the table for them, right, to pay attention to. So for us, like, I think especially why we have been focusing and thinking about world building is that even our entertainment clients are oftentimes competing against themselves, right? Where you're not necessarily knowing when you're scrolling through your streaming platform what you should be watching. And that's exacerbated by the fact that when you're you know, trying to figure out what you should be paying attention to, there's a million other things that you could be watching at the same time, right? So for us to be able to beat out that short attention span, world building content gets people invested before the launch and engaged after. And really the study ended up netting out that it was a, a great solution for being able to solve this challenge that we have with audiences. Because ultimately, if you're able to be able to then arrest our goldfish-like attention for an extra second, you're also communicating to an audience, a consumer, that this is a world that's worth my time and, mm-hmm. and attention to invest in further. Yeah. Because it really is not just standing out for a half second, 
if people are really you know, desperate to figure out what do I need to watch next or what, what should I be investing in, if I'm engaged by simple, you know, essential marketing mm-hmm. of the world building content, you know, I'm going to be coming back and creating an expectation that are there's going to be way more cool things for me to explore later in the line. With so much content out there, just being completely honest, there are more worlds that people are not immersing in than ones that they are, right? So mm-hmm. for us, what was important was to find out exactly how do we get people to immerse. A lot of what we have done is, and it kind of got us to, to where we are and, and, this, and the kind of standing that we have in the business. And we wanted to match gut with some science to have a much stronger idea of what are the triggers that get people to immerse into a world, what gets them to actually stay and want to kind of live in that world so that we can replicate that again and again for our clients on both the entertainment and brand side. And I'll add on that a little bit too. As part of the study, we did a bunch of really amazing things. We talked to 1,201 consumers as part of our this big national survey. We hooked people up in partnership with USC and this group called Immersion Neuroscience to you know, track biometrics and have them watch world-building content to see what is the stuff that gets people most excited. Focus groups around the physiologically, like you know, heart rate variation and uh, oxytocin production. So in case people lie, you know, we all, we all been in those groups and like focus groups and ethnos, which we did too. But one thing that we also did was talk to people who are, for us, really amazing world builders within the industry. And one of those people is Sue Kroll, who is now a producer, but previously was a kind of head of marketing, president of marketing yeah, over at Warner Brothers, helping make Harry Potter what it is. Uh, which is obviously one of the, the big kind of amazing worlds that people are really invested in. I was going to say, that's uh, one of the worlds that people are engaging with. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. She was talking about, as a producer now, her role, and she's thinking about that kind of behavior that was in her gut before, was saying, hey, I'm constantly looking for projects that have world building in them. And she, she was saying that they really are the ones that stand out for consumers today. And there's a big reason for that is that, you know, that's a gut instinct that we've had. Like I mentioned 3 a.m. before, this was a thing that we created in partnership with Really Scott about five years ago. But this was really about, for us, the study validating that, you know, testing that hypothesis, but to Tara's point, expanding on how we can replicate it over and over again. So I'm glad that you brought up Harry Potter because mm-hmm. clearly it's an example of a world that has taken off to the point of where they needed to actually construct a physical world for the fans to come and, mm-hmm. and experience. But, you know, even I'd say 10, 15 years ago, this, the story of Harry Potter would be considered quote-unquote nerdy or a little bit fringe. And I just remember talking to a friend of mine at the very, maybe with season two or season three of Game of Thrones. Now, he was a very big fan of the book series, Song of Fire and Ice. And he was sitting at a restaurant and he was just back to back with a table of three suburban moms, you know, the holy grail of advertising. And he just could not believe that they were so in-depthly discussing these tertiary characters from this incredibly dense book. How has this exploded onto the mainstream in such a way that it has? Yeah, there's a thousand different reasons why I think someone might be picking up a fantasy book more likely now in recent years than before. But also I think the biggest thing is the broader insights that you really hear people say, 
you know, this is a guilty pleasure of mine anymore. Um, this almost like those kind of behaviors that might have been considered geeky in the past are now simply just the norm. And that ultimately was a big, the biggest finding for us, the most heartening one as people that have dedicated a lot of time and effort to be able to do this. When we asked, you know, the media consumers across the U.S., what they do find in a world they really enjoy, over two-thirds of them said that they identified as what we call world-building consumers. So 67% of those people were people that said they either two different types of behaviors, either go all into a world when they end up being really interested in it, or on the other side, this other group we call visitors are people that return occasionally. They had different behaviors. They didn't have different worlds that we're really interested in, but ultimately they were joined together in this consumer behavior where when they watch something, they had to go back again and again to be able to then consume other content, world building content in addition to that. So that's again, everything from short films, within the world to fan theories. Yeah. Sub, you know, subreddit conversations to, you know, producing their own user generated content or getting a tattoo, like 11% of all ins, which is that first group, which are the more typical fanboys ended up doing that. They ended up being slightly different types of consumers. The all ins being more slightly male, a little younger. So more Gen Y, Gen Z, really insatiable. So kind of going out there and spending, say, multiple times a day even consuming world-building content, as well as spending, you know, a fair amount of money. So I think 42% of them ended up spending over $100 in addition to, say, streaming, you know, platform fees and things like that. So on the other side, visitors were more of an unexpected audience that came out for us. They were Gen Y, Gen Xers, skewed slightly female. I kind of call these people more of those kind of office super fans, the people that are binging friends in the office over and over again. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were more likely than all in to really hone in on one world they were really big fans of and really dedicate most of their time doing that. Their most usual behavior was actually just returning back to the show and watching it over and over again. For us, it was really interesting how these kind of groups ended up being distinct, but at the same time having some unique obsessions too. So Everything on the fanboy side being more Batman fans or The Witcher for gaming. And on the other side, Supernatural, Doctor Who, things that had more elements of character development, storytelling, relationships between characters. And even a little bit of romance. A little more romance there too. So, I had the opportunity to uh, go over this study. And yeah, it's something I could talk about all day as well. So I feel <laughs> Speaking of which, there are just so many good quotes throughout the entire study. But one that really... I was not expecting, it really stood out to me. So it was from a 19-year-old world-building consumer from Rhode Island who talked about a world where unity was the central theme and how she'd love to live in that world. And the world she was referencing was the world of Coca-Cola commercials. Mm -hmm. Now, it's hard to name anybody better at branding than Coke. How did they manage to create the concept of an entire world across, you know, generations of 30-second ads. It's interesting because Coke came up quite a few times for us while we were doing the study. That quote, of course, one of our world builders kind of mentioned Coke uh, as the world that he would want to live in. Your question was, how has Coke created a world with a series of 30-second spots. And we look at those 30 second spots as invitations into the world, right? Those Mm -hmm. are the rabbit holes Mm -hmm. that Coke has opened into their world. 
But really, what they've done to kind of expand the world and to really bring that world to life are all of those other things. The fact that they have been so consistent in the message that they're delivering, it's the content and experiences and product, all of those things help to really create the depth of the world, which is so important in keeping people immersed. So we look at it as almost like a twofold process. So first you need to invite people into the world. You know, what we do here at Wildcard, kind of on the trailer side, is we see it as an invitation into a world for entertainment. And that's certainly what Coke's 30-second spots are. And then once you've actually invited people into the world, how do you make them believe in the world and actually keep them immersed? And I think that's what Coke has done so brilliantly. And it's the reason why they, you know, come up as master world builders on the brand side again and again and again. But we found that there were other brands that came up that were probably, Coke certainly wasn't a surprise. Mm -hmm. Nike came up, they weren't really a surprise. Apple, another. But when people unprompted started to bring up mayhem and Allstate as a world that they wanted to live in, or, you know, Ralph Lauren was also one that was mentioned. That's where we really began to kind of hone our ethereum yeah. point of view on how to build a brand world. The one unifying thing that brought all of these different perspectives of that helped people imagine a brand world they would be really interested in going to and experiencing for themselves was this idea that you were offering people a vision of a universe that they wanted to go to already, right? So the brand was simply just fulfilling that kind of role and that feeling, that emotional benefit that would come from the brand, but ultimately was a place that they really wish existed in their own lives. So, you know, for Coca-Cola, for instance, keeps coming up because this happy utopian unity message, right? Uh, Where everyone is getting along and, and sharing with one another. While other times people are looking for more of that adventurous experience when they mentioned Patagonia. The mayhem Mm -hmm. world was actually really interesting. That guy in the focus group was really kind of wanting to then have his like fun, no consequences kind of space where you you can get away with everything is what he was saying. It's taking that more intangible, more romantic, fantastical fantasy, Mm -hmm. you know, that someone might have and ultimately bringing it down and saying, let's create a story in that space and that in that feel, you know, to help bring that feeling to the fore for a brand. So let's talk about for a moment Wildcard's approach to helping brands build their own world. I'd love to hear about that. And then could you give us an example of a brand world that you helped create? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, for us, when we're helping our brand clients put together their own world building strategy, uh, we start with these three key questions, right? So the first for us is, who are your citizens? So most of the clients we're talking to, and a lot of people I'm sure that are listening, will likely already have their customer segmentation. Maybe that's manifested itself more into persona work where there's a story behind these types of consumers. But for us, you know, it starts with this provocation of when you imagine the world of your brand, who do you think is the citizen that lives there, right? What are their names? What do they do for fun? What do they eat? And once you start having this better idea of, you know, if there was this planet of your brand, who are the inhabitants, you're then able to then start answering questions like, how are the streets paved? You know, what are their vocations and jobs look like? What does your brand fit into that, you know, from a 
from a government standpoint or a, you know, a news and a fun standpoint. It's a bunch of different ways of being able to then describe. It ultimately falls out of who the people that actually inhabit your world are, right? So it's very much an audience-first approach because it is taking that feeling, that world that your audience already really wants to live in and starting to build around that desire, right? And so the second question we end up having is, what is the emotional invitation into your world? So coming out of the study, we ended up with these five uh, emotional triggers that we found were the biggest motivators to get people to immerse into a world. They're prompts and parts of our briefs for entertainment clients, for trailers, for instance, or kind of 360 campaigns we do for a lot of those sci-fi fantasy shows we're working on. But ultimately, they end up being able to reapply pretty nicely for brands too. So for example, the top motivator we end up finding is what we call surprise and adventure. That was this feeling of a break from everyday routine. One of my favorite quotes that came out of that when we talked to people about surprise and adventure was a woman who was like, I, you know, I grew up reading Harry Potter and I was waiting for my Hogwarts invitation, waiting in the mail all the time, right? So this idea that I have my everyday routine, my day-to-day life, there's the potential for a dramatic change in it too. It's kind of a brand, you know, a brand promise that's oftentimes offered, whether that be, you know, like a, a Red Bull is able to do that. Even the mayhem example we talked about was say, hey, this is a familiar universe for me, but something slightly different might happen tomorrow. And it's a really great emotional benefit that you're able to offer to the consumer. And then lastly, the last question, where do you want to take them into your world? And this is really where it gets down to like defining the sandbox, the kind of translating that your brand strategy into storytelling guidelines, content strategy the gravity, the rules, the reason why your world exists. And ultimately, you know, that also functions as a brief for us from a creative standpoint. So we have really amazing, you know, entertainment focused creatives, a proximity to amazing, you know, entertainment storytellers. So we're able to kind of tell these amazing stories once we've actually defined what your brand world looks like. That's just great. And I just, I love the amount of creativity this brings back into marketing. It's funny, often the tech experts that come onto the podcast are interestingly the ones lamenting kind of a departure from that embrace of creativity. And this almost kind of forces your hand to to really expand your creative purview. So interesting that we have this expectation that great storytelling should come out of marketing, but there's no actual storytelling in mm-hmm. the marketing, you know, mm-hmm. um, in how you kind of approach the marketing. And so what I love about you know, those three steps is that that's exactly what that's meant to do. It's meant to actually make your, whether it's your marketing brief, kind of a storytelling brief mm-hmm. and to turn your brand strategy into a brand world. So let's go back to the, the study for a moment. So in the vast array of data collection and analysis that you conducted, you found five key emotional motivators that were necessary ingredients to drive the the immersion to really make a world come to life. What are those five motivators that you found and how could brands use those? You know, the first one, like I mentioned before, was surprise and adventure. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's really a, a fun break from everyday routines. It's this feeling that you can be walking down the street and just around the corner was this feeling of a completely new reality for yourself. That's from a brand standpoint, there's some obvious applications there. Just the ability to be able to offer your product as being or your experience as being a catalyst for change in someone's life. That's a, you know, 
thankfully, rising to the top was the the number one. You know, the idea of something being more fun and exciting, a life lived that way, uh, was something that brands oftentimes can can be able to offer people. The second that came out was more entertainment focus. That's real real world escape. So really, kind of creating these spaces, new worlds to get lost in and explore. Um, this kind of escapist feeling, you know, there's a, a few different reasons. I think we end up seeing why people were drawn to it. Either it was the feeling of being able to be fully immersed and forget the world that they were actually living in. The application for our brands that exist in our world is a little bit more difficult. But part of what we do, I think, part of the, the joy of being able to then put together brand worlds is to be able to find ways that you can plug into different escapist entertainment worlds too. So mm-hmm. an example of that right now is we're working on you know, uh, bridging kind of the, the world of Adidas to the world of Ninja, who's this amazing gamer. You know, gamer, streamer with millions of followers, formerly of, on Twitch and then on Mixer and putting together a brand campaign there. So, and the kind of worlds that we're creating for them are more escapist in that they're existing in this kind of like false reality that we've created for them. You know, this feeling that this is actually unmoored from our own reality. So it's it's almost like how do you end up creating a world that actually feels as if you're living in a different one. The third emotional motivator is uh, nostalgia. So this kind of rich shared memories, you know, from mine or someone else's lived experience. The interesting thing we ended up seeing from this was that people were interested in experiencing this nostalgic memories that weren't even their own, right? So from an entertainment perspective, wanting to then dive into the world of the crown or Mad Men, for instance. So how do you end up conveying that as a brand would ultimately be the way that Coca-Cola does it whenever they do any heritage messaging. The example that came out of that too is Burberry obviously has had a great revival in the past few years. And that was really helped on by a return to their kind of the The coats, right? The core products that ended up helping define the brand and they ended up making this really amazing brand film that when we showed it to people, really resonated with them. Super high production value. Yeah. <laughs> Not everything has to be that crazy, right? So the fourth emotional motivator was connection with others. So really kind of community aspect you know, with other fans, other people, you know, seeing yourself in, in uh, other types of consumers around, around you. So you know, for us, people reference, like I mentioned before, Patagonia, other kind of lifestyle Brands like Outdoor Voices also popped up that people were excited about, especially ones that were smaller like that brand, because they especially felt like this was a world, a brand world that feels more like mine. So the more ownership you ended up having and the ability to then participate in that world, people were especially drawn to that. And lastly, personal enrichment. So this is a a content experience and a brand experience that can change my perspective for the better. Um, So that really is more of the functional. This was the fifth one but ultimately is, you know, one that brands are able to obviously play on a regular basis, whether that be, you know, more functionally brand education on, you know, feeling more expertise in a space. So when a Home Depot is putting together a content strategy around how to do something, you know, that's part of creating a universe. Or similarly, if you, I think my favorite version of this is like how the Bon Appetit test kitchen feels like a universe on itself where these different chefs and people editors over there have now become these online celebrities where people follow them individually. But ultimately they're working in this like kind of weird Marvel cinematic universe type of space where the test kitchen is like a real place that other amazing things happen. So you walk away with it with this feeling that you've actually learned something too. So Amazing. 
So I want to take it back for a second and talk about number four, community, for just a moment. You mentioned earlier that, you know, world building content came from the trailers and teasers, interactive brand experience, but also the user generated content that shows up on uh, subreddit for any given world. And so there was another quote in the study that mentioned Ibra Ake, who works on one of my favorite shows ever, Atlanta, which is like sneaky deep world, talking about world building. That is just, you know, so subtly multidimensional. But they talk about making your world open source. I feel like that ties into this, you know, letting the community really be as much a part as they possibly can and want to be. So what are the steps a brand would need to make their world open source? Yeah, I think that that's kind of like the holy grail, right? It's like if you've gotten there, then you know you're onto something. And we talked a lot about kind of the invitation into the world. I think having an, an open source world means that they've accepted the invitation and they're down the rabbit hole. So in order to keep them there, you need to be able to build kind of belief or you have to have built belief. People need to believe that the world is real or at least at the very least worth their time. And we have kind of three things that we think are critical to building belief. And the first one is rich, dynamic characters. Second one is a story. The third one is a story that has depth, right? So that in depth meaning that the world feels endless, limitless, but also that the world has certain kind of rules and and purpose. Mm. And, you know, it really is the double-edged sword when you've gotten to a world that becomes open source you as the creator of the world, or in Ibra's case, the filmmaker, showrunner, you really have to kind of stick to the canonical rules of the world that you've built. Because we've all seen examples of people kind of rebelling or complaining about worlds that have been so richly created. And that usually happens because they've been somehow taken out of the world because some of the rules have been broken, or it feels like the purpose is is different than kind of what had been promised. Like I said, it's a double-edged sword. When it's working, it's phenomenal. And if for some reason you're veering into different territory, sometimes mm-hmm. that commitment and engagement can almost backfire. And the idea of the most important thing to make your world feel open source is to have and to create in consumers' minds a good idea what that world is first, which oftentimes means that you have to abstract a little bit about what your story that you're putting out in front of them needs to be. So the seduction always is to create something that is so tightly guarded and is so emphasizing, say, the product benefit that you end up giving people no room to interpret it as anything else. So for us, it's you know creating and, and creating a content strategy for a brand that allows people to then attach themselves in ways that aren't just immediately on how do I use XYZ product or how do I interact? What's the retail experience look like? Those things are broadly in service of a more kind of emotional benefit Mm -hmm. story uh, that people can attach themselves to. So in my previous life, I worked for a brand called Beats by Dre and they have a very clear brand story that people can attach themselves to. It's kind of helped bring them to where they're at. But, you know, 
before my time there, but the thing we talked about in the halls constantly about uh, the straight out of Compton campaign that people ended up, you know, if we ended up discouraging people away from say, turning it straight out of Compton or straight out of New York meme into something that was a little bit more open for people to then interpret, which means oftentimes they made memes, sometimes inappropriate ones. You're in a relationship, you're in a conversation with the, with the consumer that then says, I understand that you understand who I am and I, there's a little more freedom for you to play with us a little bit too, there too. And all those things are also still obviously in service and laddering up to the broader kind of world building content strategy. And when you've given people a good idea of what your brand is, they're able to then tell their own stories within that world. So I want to ask you guys specifically, since we're uh, neck deep in world building, Tara and Sean, do you have a favorite world yourself? And what about that world makes it so uh, engaging and makes you want to immerse yourself in it? Well, I think because we are consumed with this constantly, (laughs) if you'd asked this question two weeks ago or three weeks ago, it may be different than, at least for me, it'd be different than my answer now, which is I'm completely obsessed with The Outsider. Oh, yes. Entertainment world. Completely obsessed in that I am constantly on subreddits. I want to find out what, you know, week to week I was watching, which is unusual in and of itself, but wanted to find out what every single clue kind of meant. And then um, kind of the ultimate in knowing you've built a successful world is that I was actually willing to spend money beyond my HBO subscription in continuing to dive deeper into the world. And so I bought the book, which I hadn't read before seeing the show. And so now, you know, I will spend kind of the next couple of days when that book arrives Mm -hmm. tonight, continuing to immerse in the world of The Outsider. Yeah. I unfortunately have been immersed in the world of Twitter, which (laughs) is probably not great for my brain. Sean, Sean, yeah, Yeah. I was about to say. (laughs) Yeah. Somehow, you know, it's uh, this feeling, if I had to talk about the world and the context of the study, then it's surprise and adventure, but that adventure can wind down into (laughs) terrible, terrible depths. But yeah, the feeling that there's something constantly new (laughs) out there that you need to know about is definitely the kind of world, you know, there's an event and there's a bunch of different perspectives surrounding it. Hopefully most of them are experts that calm you down and other times they're funny people that make you happy about it, or at least inoculate you from the pain of it. But yeah, it's uh, it's kind of fun. I think as the antidote of that, my entertainment world is Star Trek. Like I've been watching a lot of Star mm. Trek lately because it's a lot quieter. So yeah. those long, hour-long Next Generation episodes and the newer stuff. A little bit of nostalgia there for you. I, I think it's more like there's a future. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're like centuries ahead. That's cool. And everyone's nice to each other. So yeah, it's a, it's a, fun, it's a fun universe to imagine and explore in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, The Next Generation, yeah, it's a very zen show that's like taking your your medicine on Netflix. (laughs) Well, it's funny that you mentioned that Twitter is one of the worlds you're immersed in because one of my favorite tweets of all time, which I'm now going to mangle and, and misquote, but it's every day on Twitter, there is one person who becomes the protagonist of Twitter. It is your job never to be that person. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the funny thing about Twitter is I've previously worked on the brand strategy for that brand and helped them kind of develop their brand platform. And this helped inform, you know, kind of the way that we're building 
our approach to building brand worlds in that we talked about it as a place that people could then explore, right? They internally talked about it for years as town hall, uh, town square, where everyone's kind of crying out, trying to get the <laughs> attention at each other. And you're kind of, when you end up broadcasting, you're, you're one of those people adding to it. But yeah, it's this idea of creating a brand story, a brand world that makes it feel like it's a real place. Yeah. Maybe some days, <laughs> some right. days they've done that. They've been doing a lot better from active users and things like that in most recent years. But yeah, it definitely is tell a story that makes it feel like a place for better or worse. Mm. So before we get to the three questions that we ask every one of our guests, A, where can our listeners who are right now chomping at the bit to just immerse themselves in this study, where can they get the study? And then what's next for Wildcard? To get the study, they can shoot us an email, insights at wildcardav.com. And what do we have next? So we've actually, we're now in the midst of a part two of this research. The first white paper was really focused on entertainment. But what we found was our world building consumers were also very engaged on the gaming side. And so we wanted to do some additional research, dig a little bit deeper into the gaming behavior among this audience, and also be able to provide our brand clients with some insight in how to engage their consumers who are also gamers. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the part two of uh, world building for us. Super exciting. I love that. And congratulations. All right. Are you guys ready? We're ready. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to start. And I'd love to hear from both of you on this. Tara, Sean, what are your thoughts on diversity and inclusion? I had the privilege of sitting in on a DNI session at Netflix, and their head of uh, DNI actually said something that just stuck with me ever since, and that is that companies should really be putting inclusion before diversity. It's my mantra. It's what our um, chief talent officer talks about all the time. It's about creating kind of environments that are conducive to diversity. And I think a big part of that for me personally is creating environments where it's okay to challenge people, particularly leadership in how we show up as individuals and how we show up as a company. I mean, for me, I think the thing that initially drew me to strategy was making sure that you're exploring the wide breadth of experiences, lived experiences and perspectives from people too. So this is kind of how we built the team here. And I think the kind of one thing to add to Tara's note would be to let people bring their whole selves to work in a meaningful way. So giving people some space to be messy sometimes, other times to allow a little bit more creativity. People come back down to earth a little later than you might, you know, because for me, it's, you know, as people that work in brand marketing, the most interesting ideas that stand out are the ones that actually feel new. Mm -hmm. And that ultimately comes from people that have a different wide variety of, of experiences and, and, and yeah. lived experiences. So, yeah. So it's creating a culture where you don't have anyone saying that someone on your team is not, you know, quote, a good cultural fit in that everyone kind of is when you have that perspective. And that's inclusion. Yeah. Yep. Ah, nailed it. Nailed it, guys. No, that was just really phenomenal and very thoughtful and much appreciated. So 
Typically, this is the toughest question that we ask guests here at the Marketing Futures Podcast. I hope you've taken some deep breaths and you're ready to dive into this. Again, need an answer from both of you. Tara and Sean. Mm -hmm. Favorite album of all time and why? This was an easy one for me. This is a Um, podcast first. (laughs) (laughs) it was easy the only thing that was difficult was whether or not i should actually throw it out there or should i give you my number two because it's also controversial so my uh favorite album of all time is kanye west my beautiful dark twisted fantasy and why i would say it is a (laughs) hip-hop opera (laughs) it has a story you are, I mean, we're talking about world building. You are brought into the world of that album and you are just taken through chapters. Each song is, is, is a new chapter of that world. And, and so I love that album. It's one of the 10 albums that I can listen to from start to finish and don't want to put on shuffle, you know, mm-hmm. mode. So yeah, so that's my choice. Sure. Yeah, I, this was hard for me because I don't listen to albums anymore. Right. <laughs> like no one does anymore. <laughs> so after some thought and consideration, I think the one, the last one that I found myself coming back to over and over again was Channel Orange by Frank Ocean. A moment in time, but also really great singles. And I've seen him in concert a few times and they're religious experiences. So because you're just happy that he shows up. So it's cool. Yeah. Such good answers. Typically, like there's like half of half of our guests have to be like, Oh, that's great. But these, those two are actually albums I'm obsessed with. So uh, I I agree. That's good. Got some good taste over at wildcard. I mean, it's our job too. (laughs) We can't, we can't get away with not be having good taste when we're, in meetings with directors and things like that. (laughs) This might be a little bit easier for you, uh, Sean. What are you listening to right now? Just song or artist or or what are you into right now and why? I am obsessed with Bad Bunny. I don't speak Spanish either, which is great. (laughs) But, you know, I think for me, as someone that like loves hip hop and then also loves shutting down, so I'm not distracted by anything. There's Spanish speakers and it'll make fun of me for this. Just listen to whatever that is. And it's my favorite song right now. I have it on repeat. Amazing, Tara. Mine is Pop Smoke. And probably because my kids are listening to him constantly and, and had been for quite a while, but then they came back to it once he passed away a few weeks ago. So it was interesting to me just because I'd been listening to him not knowing who he was and just the voice was, I, I just couldn't get enough of just hearing his his voice and his rhythm and asked my kids I've uh, two kind of Gen Y kids and they were like oh mom that's Pop Smoke and then literally a week later he passed away so now I've become completely obsessed and and that's what I'm listening to now. Well, we have a little downer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pick gonna, someone else. Let's do that over. Hit the theme music right now. <laughs> <laughs> Tara, Sean, thank you so, so much for swinging by the Marketing Futures Podcast Digital Studio. This has been just an incredible, incredible talk. And we're going to put that link into send an email to get your copy of Wildcard's World Building Study. Do not sleep on it. There are an amazing just plethora of insights and ideas, regardless of what category you are in. So thank you both so very much for spending a little time with me today. 
Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yes, and this is the Marketing Futures Podcast, and you heard it here first. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast. Got an idea for a future guest or topic? Shoot us a note at marketingfutures at ana.net. Make sure to subscribe to the Marketing Futures Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Want to continue your journey through the world of innovation? Check out our extended universe at marketingfutures.ana.net.